Well, I, um, I don't know what response you first had when you heard that Canada was going to legalize the use of cannabis for recreational purposes. I don't know. I'm not in your room with you. I'm not where you are. I don't know what you shared, if you spoke with somebody else or what they shared with you. But one thing I can promise you is that none of your reactions to the legalization of cannabis is this, was the same as mine. See, my reaction when I heard that the federal government was going to legalize cannabis uh, this past Wednesday, that that was the date, my first reaction was, oh, crap. We're going to end up talking about this in church. (laughs) And my second reaction was, oh, crap. I'm probably going to be the person who ends up talking about this. There was a little bit of concern on my part, not for societal well-being or people's mental health. No, no, I just was concerned that I was going to have to actually do what we're doing this morning. Um, Because the question that immediately emerged for me when we started to think about what a morning about legalization and faith would look like, the question that emerged is how do you talk biblically about what it means to be a follower of Jesus with regards to the use of cannabis when the Bible does not speak about what it means to be a follower of Jesus with regards to the use of cannabis, right? Like the Bible just doesn't mention cannabis at all. And so the question that I started to roll around in my mind is, what is the conversation that we can have? It would be so much easier if there was just a command in the Bible that told us what to do, right? Can I pirate movies? Thou shalt not steal. Okay, well, I guess that's a short sermon. But, but how do you have this conversation? And as I, and as I processed it, My mind went to a couple of passages of scripture, both in the same letter in the New Testament, in in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 6 and chapter 10. Because in, in the church in the city of Corinth that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to, they're grappling with two issues of morality in their church where there is there is a behavior or a set of behaviors that in culture was normal and accepted and even expected of people. And the question that they were asking is, do we still do those things as people of faith? Right, so for one of them, it was, do people who follow Jesus still go to the temple and uh, engage with the temple prostitutes as they would have done, the men would have done for their entire lives. It was a cultural expectation. It was an accepted behavior. It was even the norm. It's what you regularly did. The other one was, do people who follow Jesus go to market and buy meat that has been previously sacrificed to the god Zeus, let's say, and serve it in your home at a private dinner party? Is it okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols? And their argument towards Paul, they, they offer their argument, or Paul acknowledges their argument in both instances, and in both instances, their argument is exactly the same. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, this was their argument. They said, I have the right to do anything. I have the right to do anything. Now, they weren't arguing for a no-holds-barred, do-whatever-you-want version of faith. What they were saying is, because I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, a couple of things are true right? Faith is about um, being set free by Jesus, free uh, from sin, free from the law, free from all of it. And so in my freedom, I can, I have the right to do anything. 
They were saying at the same time, um, because faith is a matter of my spirit. It's a matter of my soul. It's, it's an internal thing between me and God. Um, so what I do with my body doesn't really matter because my faith, so long as God and I are good in my heart, what I do with my body is less important. I have the right to do whatever I want. And in the two instances, Paul acknowledges their argument And in one, by the way, in one instance, he agrees with them and says, you do have the right to do whatever you want. And in the other instance, he disagrees with them and he says, no, you don't really. So it's kind of what I liked about these two issues in the letter to Corinth was that they live in this gray space of do we, don't we, maybe, yes, maybe here, maybe not here. There's this real ambiguity to it. Um, And Paul, in both instances, what he does is he actually affirms their argument. He says, yes, it's true, but, and then he reflects himself on the conversation. And it was interesting to me, this framework of yes, but. I have the right to do everything, anything. Yes, but. And I began to wonder whether that yes, but framework was actually the best way to think through the conversation about the recreational use of cannabis now that it's legal. Because in in both instances, Paul acknowledges that they are making a good point. That there is a yes to the conversation. And and the more I thought about it, the more I began to suspect that there's probably a yes to the conversation about the use of cannabis. At the very least, because while the Bible doesn't speak about cannabis use, it does speak about the use of another substance that, to be perfectly honest, isn't that terribly different than cannabis, and that's alcohol, right? In fact, the Bible speaks quite a bit about especially the use of of wine, and the Bible is far from being against the consumption of wine. In fact, in Psalm chapter 104, Uh, This is a worship song written in ancient Israel. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. And why is God very great? Because he makes the grass grow. Oh, maybe they do talk about cannabis. Oh, no. (laughs) No, it's grass for the cattle. Sorry about that. He makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for humans to cultivate. Bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens human hearts. Oil to make their faces shine like cosmetics. And bread that sustains their hearts. It's a worship song that says God is to be praised because he has created the world in such a way that we're able to produce wine that gladdens people's hearts. It celebrates God's gift of wine and it even celebrates God's gift of a food product that has the capacity to elevate our spirits, so to speak. A psalm says, if after a hard day at work, you have the opportunity to go home and open a bottle of wine and pour yourself a glass and sit on the porch and just kind of go, okay, everything's going to be okay. So that's worth praising God over 
Wine throat scripture, it, it talks about scripture a lot. Wine throat scripture is used for celebration purposes. Jesus' very first miracle is turning water into wine at a wedding. And why does Jesus turn water into wine at the wedding? There's only one practical purpose, and that's to keep the party going. If the wine runs out, the party stops. And so Jesus' mother tells him, turn some water, like get some more wine here. And he turns the water into wine, and the party keeps going, probably for days. The Bible is not against the use of wine. And even, the, even though it is a product that can inebriate, in fact, the Bible celebrates the fact that in a world that's as hard as ours, to have a product that can lift your spirits a little bit is not a bad thing. That's worth praising God over. Jesus, as far as wine goes, Jesus is a drinker. He identifies in Matthew 11. John the Baptist is an abstainer. The Bible affirms both positions. Right? In a sense, Jesus, in, like, think about this. Jesus includes wine in the central celebration of the church, in communion or the Lord's Supper or uh, the Mass, however you want to call it. Wine is a part of the celebration of God's love in communion. Now, not here. Here it's grape juice, right? Because we don't do wine, but... Um, but wine for most of the church history, for most of the church around the world, because it's a celebration and you celebrate with wine. And the similarities, as I began to think about it, the similarities between wine and cannabis are pretty strong, right? They're both food products that have the capacity to inebriate, right, to varying degrees with varying usage. Um, they actually both have the potential for positive health effect. We'll talk about that in just a second. Simultaneously, they both have the possibility for very detrimental physical effects, and they have, both have the possibility for wild overuse and terrible misuse in really detrimental ways. They're very similar, and yet the Bible's not afraid of wine. Um, when I say health effects, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, Paul is writing, the Apostle Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy, and this is what he says. Timothy apparently is an abstainer. He says, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Paul says, one of the reasons you get sick so much is because you don't drink enough wine. He's, he literally, what he's saying to him is there would be a medical benefit for you if you were to use this a little bit more, right? Now, I know like comparing, in this case, the medical benefit of wine, you know, for us, we would maybe doubt that it has much, good for your stomach, but um, a glass of red wine a day to, you know, for the heart. But to compare that to medical marijuana, I know there's a lot of debate around medical marijuana and health practitioners are trying to sort it out and scientists are sorting it out and, and I'm not an expert in this, so I'm going to defer to their better judgment. But at the very least, what I will say is this, when it comes to medical marijuana, that there are some people who in conversation with their doctor, their doctors decided that medical marijuana is actually the very best prescription for their particular condition. And using prescribed medical marijuana in the way in which your doctor has prescribed it for some people has health benefits in pain management and with glaucoma and with seizures and tremors to do with Parkinson's and in managing Alzheimer's and potentially lowering anxiety in low doses. Some people experience some medical benefit with the use of medical marijuana. And um, I am not a doctor, but what I'll say is this. 
if your doctor has prescribed you medical marijuana and you are taking it according to the prescription and you are experiencing some medical benefit from it, I don't think there's a biblical reason why you should feel bad about using it. You may have your own reasons. You may have medical reasons or moral reasons or conscience reasons, whatever it is. I'm just saying I don't think there is a biblical reason for you to feel bad about using it just because it's called marijuana. I really think that there, it's, some, it's worth thinking about the analogy of alcohol and cannabis. But we think about them very differently, right? We have very different internal responses to the two of them. And trust me, I'm feeling them. I grew up in a conservative home and I have never used cannabis. And I really, it's not my thing. I don't plan to start now. Um, and so I feel that fact that I'm standing in front of us saying, hey, maybe there's room for a yes conversation when it comes to the use of cannabis. I'm feeling that internally. And I've had to ask myself the question, why do we feel it? And I, I think at least a part of the reason is because of legality, right? What's the difference between wine? There are differences between wine and cannabis, and we're going to talk about some of them. But one of the differences between wine and cannabis, as similar as they are, is that one, Ontario wine has never been illegal in Ontario. Even during prohibition, it was not illegal. And cannabis has been illegal since 1923 until like last Wednesday. And that changes how we feel about the two of them, right? Both alcohol and cannabis are drugs, and we only ever call one of them drugs. Only t one of them is targeted in the war on drugs. Right? That changes how we feel about the two of them. Like, just think about prohibition. So, prohibition came into effect in 1901 in Ontario. It lasted till 1927, 26 years. And it was brought in because drunkenness was rampant. There was one tavern for every 500 people in Ontario at the time. And people were drinking like it. And there was fighting and domestic violence and um, there was poverty and they were all sinful, terrible effects of drunkenness. And so the government decided, let's deal with this by making this illegal. And what happened? People continued to drink illegally and they continued to get drunk and they continued to fight and they continued to beat their spouse and they continued to fall into poverty. It didn't help the issue at all. And so the government said, well, why don't we legalize it and regulate it instead? And 90 years later, we are in a much more stable condition in terms of our societal relationship with alcohol than we were in 1901 or 1927 even. Um, it's not perfect and those drunkenness and fighting and domestic violence and poverty and all those things still exist but we've created a public dialogue we've eliminated the shame and the stigma and now we're able to have open conversations about the best way to manage these things as a society and how to eliminate them to the best of our ability right but think about how it would have felt in 1901 if you were an advocate for prohibition, and the government decided to make alcohol illegal, you would have been elated. We took a stand for morality and we won. And then think about how it would have felt in 1927. People would have been terrified. The whole society is going to hell in a handbasket because this is legal now, except it didn't, right? And I think in 90 years time, we'll be in a much better place to talk about how can the role cannabis plays in our society and so on. But, this, but my point is that when morality and legality get tied up together, it gets emotionally confusing. 
And we have to pull them apart. They're not the same thing. Prayer in the schools is illegal but moral. Pornography is legal but immoral. They're not the same thing. But it messes with how we think about morality. The other thing that messes with us is how we think about morality within the church. Right? Too often, religious institutions, the church among them, structures morality off the pattern of religious rule keeping. Right? This is the way of the Pharisees in the first century in Jesus' day. They wanted the general level of morality in society to go up. And so they, the number of rules that people had to live by went up, right? You know, the Bible gives you the 10 commandments and then the Pharisees come along and say, well, it's not really 10. The Jewish law gives you 613. So now you have a 61.3 times increase in the number of laws. And then the rabbis come along and say, well, I don't really know how to live those laws. And so they write 800 pages of commentary on the laws. And then somebody comes along and reads the rabbis and says, well, that's not entirely clear. And they write 72 volumes of laws. And you, what you get is this multiplication of laws, assuming that if we have the right laws in place, we will become moral people. But the Bible says that's not how it works. In fact, the opposite. In Galatians chapter 5, the apostle Paul says, it is for freedom from religious rule keeping is what he means, that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery to religious rule keeping. When it comes to morality, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul says multiplying rules is not the way to live the life that Jesus calls us to. The pathway to the life that Jesus calls us to, to really being human, the way God created us to be human, is to put your faith in Jesus and to live that out in a life that loves God and loves people. That's actually the way to be the person God has created you to be, not by figuring out what the rules are, right? So we have the conversation. What's the rule about cannabis? Can I use it or not? Paul says, that's the wrong question. The right question is, what does it look like to love God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength and love my neighbor as myself? That's the question. And no rule answers that question. Now, does that mean there's no rules? Like literally do whatever you want? No, of course not. He goes on to say, the person who's put their faith in Jesus is filled with the life of the Holy Spirit. And they become a person who's love whose life is filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And he says, and when you're living in step with the spirit and these things are coming out of your life, you cannot make an immoral decision. You need the spirit, not more rules. He says, against those things, there are no laws, right? So here's what I'm trying to say. In the, on the analogy to wine, in thinking about morality in biblical terms, when the Corinthians say, you know, I have the right to do anything, in the Greek it says everything is permissible. Paul's answer is yes, but, and I think there, if there is room for a yes, when we consider a responsible Christian use of alcohol, there has to be room for a yes when we consider the responsible Christian use of cannabis. But Paul's answer is always yes, but, he says, okay, but now we're going to define what that looks like according to uh, the life of Jesus. And so here's what he says in Romans six twelve. This is the full verse. They say, I have the right to do anything you say. Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is good for you. 
So yes, you have freedom. Use that freedom to do things that are good for you. So their argument, it goes on in verse 13. Paul says to them, you say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Their argument, so I'll pause there for a second. Their argument was basically this. Um, My body is a stomach that needs food. The world is a world that's filled with food. Therefore, I should take food and I should put it in my stomach. That was their analogy. They were applying it to the idea of, of going to the prostitutes. And they were saying, my body's designed for sex. The prostitutes exist for sex. Therefore, I should go to the prostitutes for sex. That's how they, the logic was working. It's an, the exact argument that I've heard many, many cannabis users make, right? Cannabis releases THC, which is how we get high. Our brain has THC receptors, which is how we get high. Therefore, our bodies were made to use cannabis, which releases THC. We are made for it. It's natural. Our bodies were made for it. Paul says the question is not whether your stomach is made for food and food was made for stomach. The the question is this. The body was made for the Lord and the Lord was made for the body or the Lord for the body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Paul says it's not... Was your body made for cannabis? It wasn't. It was made for the Lord. So in every way you use your body, use your body for the sake of the Lord, for the sake of Christ, for Jesus. He says, and don't you know that your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit? Right? You have God living inside of you. So treat your body as though God lives inside of you. Now, I know we all have our issues, right? Whether it's stopping at McDonald's or smoking the odd cigar or binge watching Netflix or not getting enough sleep at night or, um, you know, using your iPhone in a way that structurally damages your spine and your neck. Like we, I know we all have issues with the way that we use our body. Paul says the whole point is to remember that your body is a gift from God that he gave you to use for his purposes and he travels around with you in it. So use your body as though God was walking around with you in it, right? When you look at porn, the Holy Spirit is looking at porn through your eyes, When you smoke up, the Holy Spirit is smoking up through your lungs and your fingers or whatever. The question is, is it beneficial to your body, which is the temple for the Holy Spirit? And the truth is that cannabis has some pretty negative effects on our body, right? It impairs learning and memory and attention. And not just while you're high, for 24 hours after you're high. And with regular use, persistently it can destroy you know those brain functions if you smoke it it will degrade your lung function if you use it while you're pregnant your child has an increased risk of being born prematurely underweight and needing neonatal intensive care after they're born there are strong linkages between cannabis use and mental illnesses like schizophrenia paranoia bipolar depression anxiety, psychosis. Like the thing is, so people will use cannabis to try and manage their anxiety. And if you overuse cannabis, it actually elevates your anxiety. Persistent use makes you paranoid. It actually backfires on you. Um, Over the last three years in Ontario, in ER rooms in in our province, emergency rooms in our province, 
Um, admissions for cannabis toxicity, basically an overdose of cannabis, have tripled in the last three years. It's not necessarily good for your body. But more than that, there's a deeper question, and that is, is it good for your soul? Right? If the whole point of being a follower of Jesus is to love God and to love other people, do those things happen better when we're using cannabis? That's the relevant question, right? Your body is made for the Lord. To your body is to engage in relationship with Jesus. So the question is, when you're using cannabis, when you're high, are you in a better or worse condition to love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength? Are you in a better or worse condition to experience the love of God in your life? What about loving other people? When you're using cannabis, are you better postured to love the people in your life? Are you more loving? Are you more joyful? Well, you might be more joyful. Are you more peacemaking? Are you more patient? Are you more kind? Are you good? Are you more faithful? Are you more gentle? Are you more in control of yourself? When you use cannabis, are you more motivated to participate in God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, to fighting for justice, to living sacrificially and generously and missionally so that other people can experience the love of God. What effect does it have on your discipleship? That's the question. It's not my body for cannabis and my cannabis for my body. It's my body for the Lord. And how are you using your body in a way that is beneficial both to your body and to your discipleship, right? And so the part of the yes, but, Paul says, there has to be boundaries that we put in place. And Paul in 1 Corinthians suggests two boundaries. The first one is this, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12, you have the right to, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul says there has to be a boundary put into place where you are always in control, where you are always the master of it. It is never the master of you. And this is one of the significant differences actually between wine and cannabis is that with wine, it is easier to control the level of your inebriation, right? You can can make better decisions with wine. First of all, because you take it one sip at a time, you know the size of your glass, you know the alcohol content of the drink, you know your body weight, you generally understand what it's going to take to get you too far, right? You know how to stay in control of what you drink. Cannabis isn't like that. It's harder to control because it's not a consistent content and its its effects are almost not different every time, but they can vary wildly, right? It's a little bit better, uh, you know, if you smoke it, you experience the effects within 60 seconds and you can sort of gauge how you're doing and decide whether to keep going. When you eat it, it's much more difficult. You don't feel the effects until 60 or 90 minutes later. And what most people do is they eat some and they go, I don't feel anything. And they eat some more and I don't feel anything. And they eat some more. And the next thing you know, right, you've had way too much. Um, 
When you smoke it, the effects, the high lasts for a couple hours. When you eat it, it lasts for eight to 12 hours. And the overall impact on your system lasts for up to 24 hours. Um, are you able to stay in control? In, in Ephesians chapter five, it says this, don't be foolish, understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. The apostle Paul says, listen, when you get drunk, you're foolish. You don't understand what God, the kind of choices God wants you to make. You end up making terrible choices. It leads to debauchery. You end up making terrible decisions. That's what happens when you're drunk. Guess what happens when you're high? You're foolish. You don't understand what God's will is and you end up making terrible decisions. Right? You can't let it master you. Paul says, don't let something else control your brain. Let the Holy Spirit control your brain. Let the Holy Spirit control your life. Let the Holy Spirit be the thing that dictates your behavior. Not some foreign agent that is altering your brain function. Don't be mastered by it. There's a second way we get mastered by it. It masters our lives, not just our moments when we're high. Right? Um, Cannabis has been demonstrated to lower dopamine levels in the body, which is the source of motivation and it's connected to the reward center of our body. Dopamine is essentially uh, what gives us ambition to accomplish a goal so we can feel good about ourselves when we're done. And cannabis lowers all of the dopamine levels in our, in our brain, in our system, so that we're actually fundamentally unmotivated. This is why potheads are stereotyped as slackers and lazy and they can't keep a job and they don't engage in social settings and environments or whatever. They're just kind of spaced out. It's because literally they're unmotivated to do anything. And people have lost jobs and homes and houses and marriages. They've lost everything because of their lack of ambition because of cannabis, overuse and misuse. Um, we say cannabis isn't addictive. And I don't think it is, if I understand correctly, it's not formally. But that doesn't stop people from using more and more and more and more of it. In the last 10 years, the number of people who use cannabis nearly daily has gone up 50%. And the number of people who would self-identify as having a problematic relationship with cannabis has doubled in 10 years. People say, I couldn't stop if I wanted to. So at some point, if you can't say no to it when you're offered, um, if you have to smoke up when you get home at night, if you're really, really excited that it's legal, you have to take a step back and say, am I being mastered? Is this thing in control of me or am I in control of it? Here's Paul's other boundary. He says in verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything's constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Paul says there's a fundamental problem as soon as the conversation is, do I have the right to do this? Because the conversation about my rights is a conversation that's fundamentally selfish. It's about me. And the Christian life, if anything, is the opposite of selfishness. It's about loving God and loving everybody else, which means the Christian life is about everybody except me. That as soon as we're talking about what I have the right to do, you're having a conversation that's fundamentally unchristian. It's anti-Christian. If you're going to talk about rights as a follower of Jesus, it's to talk about how you're going to curtail your rights and limit your rights and give up your rights so that you can sacrifice your rights so that other people can experience the love of God because that's what Jesus did. 
So Paul says, to say, do I have the right to use cannabis? That's the wrong question. The question is, how do I seek the best for all of the people around me? So if you read that passage, what he says is, if you're going to use, if you're in an environment where you want to use cannabis and everybody there, their conscience is clear with using cannabis and you're okay with using cannabis and you could actually pray and thank God for the cannabis and you're not mastered by it and you're loving God and you're loving people through it and all of those boundaries that we put in place, if all those things are true, then maybe it's okay to use it in that environment. But Paul says, if somebody comes in and they're like, oh my goodness, you're not going to use cannabis, are you? Because their conscience doesn't allow it. Paul says, you don't use You don't use. You wouldn't violate someone else's conscience by your behavior. That's not what freedom is for. Freedom isn't for our rights. It's to love other people, to do what they need most. Paul says, or if you are in control and you're mastering it and it's not mastering you and you're loving God and you're loving people and all of those things are true because you can use it responsibly, but somebody else is in the room who can't use it responsibly, for whom it's a terrible decision, Right? Because we should have, I should have said this long ago about wine. Of course, there are people who have addictive issues and so on. And for them, the answer is never. Right? If there are people who can't use it responsibly, but they see you use it and they start using it because you're using it and they're using it irresponsibly, Paul says, that's not loving. Don't do that to people. Your main priorities are how can the Holy Spirit remain the controlling factor in my life, not this substance? And how can I live every single moment, regardless of what I decide, how can I live every single moment of every single day to love the people around me instead of loving myself, period. This is the thing. And that is the yes, but framework that I've been thinking through. And here's the thing. Not all of us are going to come to the same decision about this. We're just not. Which gives, makes this another one of those perfect conversations for the love beyond belief that we're talking about. Where each one of us has the responsibility to develop our own biblical conviction and to follow our conscience, to live according in faithfulness to our biblical conviction without ever forcing somebody else to agree with our conviction or judging somebody else for disagreeing with our conviction. Instead, what we're going to do is live in community with each other and accept each other as Christ has accepted us fully, graciously, open arms, in hospitality, lovingly, the whole nine yards. We're going to accept each other just as Christ has accepted us and journey together as we figure out what it means to love God and to love people and to follow Jesus in this brave new Canadian world uh, where cannabis is legal. Let's, let's pray together. Father, the only thing we want is to live lives in which we fully trust in Jesus Christ. We love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And we love all of the people around us as much as you've loved us. We thank you for all of the good gifts that you've given us in this world. And we pray for your wisdom to make good decisions about how we live. And we pray for a loving, supportive, safe community where we can, without shame, have all of these conversations with each other. And thank you that that is precisely what the church is. And so we give ourselves to you 
and to nothing else. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.